Lee Bevington Media, voiceovers and on-air talent for radio, television and podcasts. Visit leebevington.com.au Radio, the transmission and reception of electromagnetic waves on radio frequency, especially those carrying sound messages, or the activity or industry of broadcasting sound programs to the public. Fanboy. A male fan, especially one who behaves in an obsessive or overexcited way. This is the Radio Fanboy Podcast, and here's your host, Bevo. Today's guest is one half of the legendary radio duo Club Veg, which you may remember on Triple M back in the 90s and noughties. His name is Mel Lees, and he joins me on the phone this afternoon. G'day, Mel. How are you today? Hello. <laughs> how are you, mate? Not too bad at all. Now, the last time we uh, we hung out was at uh, Triple M back in 2002, and that was officially the end of Club Veg, as it was. Yeah, basically. That was, uh, that was the, the, the last run that we had at uh, Triple M at the end of 2002. It's funny, they, they decided to flick it. I know. And then uh, they flicked us on the Wednesday, and then I asked to come back on the Friday. Oh, did they? Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't get that luxury. I got the meeting on the Tuesday, and that was it for me. So, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the radio is a great business, isn't it? Absolutely. So, Mel, you, you were telling me, um, we're just having a quick chat before, you actually got your um, radio beginnings at 2GB in Sydney. How did that uh, happen? Oh, that was uh, back in the back in the mid seventies. Two um, GB were in Sussex Street, and they were pretty big. They were number one at the time. John Pierce was doing talk back. There was a whole heap of sort of stars back then, and and they were they used to uh, have office boys. They oh, yeah, to do everything. And uh, ever since I was a little kid, I was really fascinated with the radio, and and they had an ad running on Two GB because my parents used to listen to it all the time in the house, and they said apply for it, and I thought, wow. It's a foot in the door for radio. And I got the job, but all it was was a glorified uh, shit kicker. You know, <laughs> for everybody. You were cleaning the boss's car. You were taking mail up and picking mail up and uh, getting everybody's lunches. And yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, there was no magic of radio there as an office boy. I was going to say, there's not many stations that would have um, such a position these days. Everyone has to do the stuff themselves. Nah, no, that's long gone. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, quite a few people went through as office boys and uh, moved on into radio. But, yeah, I thought after about eight months I'd had enough. I learned all I could about getting people's lunches, so I got the hell out of there. You, uh, your next uh, gig was over at uh, 2KA in Katoomba, which was traditionally the Blue Mountains. I know now it's um, the Edge 96.1 in Sydney, which um, has been bought out by RN. But the, the beginnings on AM at 2KA, what was, uh, what was that like back then? Okay, well, it was a little radio station, and you're right, it was a radio station that for years had been up in Katoomba, but they put a satellite studio down at Penrith because they needed to get extra income. And and 2KA, Penrith, um, you know, it was only a little 500 water, I think, blasting into the, the outer western suburbs, but it was a gateway for a lot of guys like myself to try and get a foothold into Sydney. And um, I ended up out at 2KA, and, and um, when I met Dick, I was doing afternoons and I was music director there and uh, they had a job going for a copywriter and it ended up they employed a bloke by the name of Vic Davies. Oh, right. So that was his first beginnings. Yeah, that was uh, how he first got into radio and um, we hit it off straight away. um, We just clicked because we were both into the same sort of comedy and both loved uh, a lot of the same music and 
And, um, yeah, we, we just had a couple of running gags around the office and um, nobody else sort of got what we were into. And, and they didn't kind of have a production studio. They just had a, like another on-air studio. There's no such thing as multi-track. Yeah. And Vicky used to write his commercials in there. And, of course, I was in the other, other studio during, you know, during afternoons and you could tap into what the other guy was doing in the oh, other yeah. studio. Yeah. And, uh, God, I wish they, they had that today. But um, anyway, uh, I, I used to tap and I listened to what he was doing and, and we'd talk to each other and then um, he was trying to do a jingle and uh, then that's kind of how we started working together. We realised, see, there's, there's kind of something here. So that after I left 2K, I, I stayed in touch with Vic and uh, we ended up living not far from each other. And we used to, I used to pop by his place or he'd come over my place and we were always mucking around with comedy and, and kind of the, that, that kept going. And uh, it, it kind of went from there. I was then, at some stage in my career, I was at 2WS, which was the AM station out of Seven Hills. And I was doing nights there, but uh, they decided to bring this guy back called Mad Mel. Mad Bell was an American jock who was on 2SM in the 60s, and he was massive in the 60s. And WS thought it would be a great idea to bring him back in the uh, in the 80s and do a night show, but they needed sort of a bit of comedy to go with it. And I said, oh, I've got a mate of mine. We can do some comedy. And, and I, was doing, um, I was doing nights there, and I was also doing a bit of production. And, and WS had this amazing 16-track studio that nobody was using. Oh, so, wow. Uh, I dragged Vic in and said, "Hey, let's let's do it for him." And um, we we started recording a few parodies for him, and, and we realised that Mad Mel and his reincarnation wasn't that good, but uh, the stuff we were doing was. And uh, you know, we both looked at each other one night in the studio and thought, "Wow, this is working really well." Because he was he was a, a great singer as well. He was a great studio singer, Vic, and he could imitate anyone. And I was really into sound, really, you know, uh, mad into getting the right sound, and we could we could copy any sound or any artist, and and we could do it in full, beautiful, crystal clear stereo, which wasn't being used on WS because it was AM and mono. Uh, at that point, you started doing parodies of um, popular songs. Yeah, we did. We did parodies uh, then, and around that time, I remember uh, we were doing. Uh, uh, let's see, Culture Club was really big at the time. It was about 1984, uh, 1983, 84. And, and um, I remember after the, uh, the, the venture didn't work with Mad Mel at WS, um, I thought, gee, there's got to be a way I can, we can get a foothold in Sydney somewhere. And I remember on a Sunday afternoon reading the Sunday paper and it was a, an expose on Triple J, when Triple J was only in Sydney. And they were talking about the head of Triple J, a bloke by the name of Marius Webb. And I knew nothing about the Jays or who was involved, but I had a name. And I thought, gee, on Monday morning, I'm going to ring this guy up and I'm going to, I'm going to come and play some stuff to him. So I didn't tell Vic this. Uh, uh, I just thought, I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work, then nobody can be any of the wiser and we move on. But anyway, on the Monday morning, about 10 past 8 in the morning, I rang the Jays. And this bloke answered and said, Triple J. And I said, Murray, it's wet, please. And he went, oh, that's me. And I thought, <laughs> And I said to Murray, mate, I, I hear you're looking for a breakfast show on the weekend, and I think I've got the best breakfast show in town, and I want to play some stuff. <laughs> he said, 
well, you better come and see me. How about tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock? And that was like a Tuesday morning. I went, yep, I'll be there. So I walked in and saw him, and uh, he's, uh, there were two of them. Uh, they were called coordinators, program coordinators. Yeah. Marius was the head one, and Chris Witter was these two IC. And they listened to the tapes, and they loved it, and they said, can you guys start this weekend? And I went, sure, no worries. And I thought, God, I've got to go and tell Vic now. I haven't got this. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they said, well, give you a quick look around the Jays. And uh, they were in William Street at that stage. And I went, oh, you'd yeah, be great. I said, what are your production studios like? And he said, well, let's, we'll show you. And they walked around and opened up these two little doors. And there was a tiny broom closet. And it had an old RMK sort of AM radio panel. There were two turntables and a microphone that was gaffer taped to a broom handle. Oh, my God. And they said, that's our production studio. And I thought, <laughs> oh, Joe, that's really funny. All right, yeah, where are they? And they went, that's our production studio. And it was like, shit, okay. Yeah, but the, the studios they had were, were quite good. They were Unfortunately, Triple J was like the naughty child of the ABC network, and they got the hand-me-downs from every other radio station that oh, moved on. Yes. So we had the really rubbish stuff. But uh, they did actually put a beautiful panel into... Uh, the, the two main on-air studios. And so I left there and I rang Vic and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to write a, a script for the egg board. <laughs> he was doing some stuff on the side. So I came around his place and I told him and uh, he was over the moon. So we spent the next couple of days coming up with ideas, writing some shit. And um, we went in there on the, on the Friday, I believe, and just recorded some stuff in the off-air studio. And then Saturday morning, we, we went to air for the first time and we, uh, we called it the morning after. And it, it all started from there. So why was it the morning after? Is it because you had like a, the concept was, you know, you went out the night before, had a good time, and then you're yeah, recording it the next day? That was exactly it. It wasn't, it wasn't too deep. <laughs> it was, we were constantly talking for the first couple of weekends about hangover cures. Oh, really? So, okay. 98% of our audience were hungover and yeah. by the Sunday, so were we. So, and, and you know, we, we would just ask people to call in and and um, and sound was a really big thing for me and I, I produced up, and, and this was back in the days when you used carts, so I had all these effects and and one-liners on cart and stuff and we would fire them off in relation to whatever the punters were saying when they called through and, uh, you know, and then we, we started doing some parodies and um yeah and it just it just went from there and uh before you know it um it, it just grew and it grew and it grew and then after a while we were moved to drive on the weekends i think we ended up doing friday saturday sunday on on the jays and um we couldn't call it the morning after anymore and oh. by that stage all our all our listeners were calling us veggies because we were, you know, they'd ring up and we'd say, what are you doing? They'd say, oh, we're vegging out, man. <laughs> and um, the name veggies kind of stuck. And then when we wanted a name, Victor and I said, well, why don't we call it Club Veg? And I went, that is brilliant. Did you find most and, of your listeners uh, were half-baked that were calling in? Oh, uh, no, they were three-quarters baked. Oh, three-quarters. <laughs> not most. Oh, not, not most. All of them. Yeah pretty well shot but um and it just became a little club and uh we had our regulars calling in all the time and 
and uh, and we got to select our own music. So we oh, we played wow. what we wanted to. And Triple J had the most amazing library, and they they kept everything, and they had everything, and you could dig back and get whatever you wanted. And for a lot of it, yeah, we could play whatever we wanted, and we did. Wow, yeah, you, you can't even think of that now unless you're on community radio. Um, you, you have to, <laughs> and then you've got to bring your own stuff in. Yeah, I know. So you're there right. from uh, 84 to 86 and then uh, popped up on 2SM for a couple of years as well. Yeah, 2SM, we were uh, we were headhunter for 2SM and uh, that was run by that stage. It had just been taken over by Jeff Mulray, who was Doug Mulray's brother. Oh, yeah. And um, he wanted to sort of bring 2SM back to what it was because it had sort of kind of fell into disrepair. And it, and unfortunately, the advent of uh, FM coming, you know, um, they were uh, they were in a bit of a mess. And, and um, Jeff thought that by returning it to great music and great comedy, um, it would work. And he was prepared to take the risk with us. He loved us because, you know, Doug had come through the Jays. Uh, we would come, had come from the Jays and, um, so he, he wanted to put us on and he did. And we did, uh, we did nights there for about, uh, a year and built up. We had, God, we had a ball and we were left alone in that radio studio. And of course that was over at Blues Point Road in Sydney. And we had this amazing view over the harbour. Yes. So when you sat in that iconic studio and you had to remember that 2SM in the seventies and the early eighties was just like I grew up as a kid listening to them and to Ronnie Sparks and Ian McRae. And, you know, I was just gobsmacked to, you know, walking down the halls, so much history in it. And there we were. We were at that radio station. And so we got put on to breakfast. And um, after a while, it didn't really go according to plan. And they ended up turning it into light and easy. Oh, really? Not that, <laughs> light and easy. And we were given the boot. Yeah. Because it kind of didn't work, but uh, thank God Triple M came and saved us because they wanted to have a, a chat to us. So we had a meeting with Ian Grace and Gracie. Uh, Charlie Fox. Oh, Gracie. Yeah, and Foxy. And uh, they decided to take a putt on us, and thank God they did because we would have been unemployed again. Well, that happened in the same year that you finished up at 2SM 88, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 88 we finished up there, and it wasn't, oh, it was only about a month later. We popped up at um, Triple M. And we're on nights. We're doing seven to ten at night. And um, uh, Gracie wanted us to do this thing at, uh, starting at, uh, I think it was eight o'clock, called Rock Pole. Okay. And, uh, and it was basically the, you know, the, the top ten or the top twenty rock songs, triple M rock songs. And yep. everybody rang in and voted. And it was kind of the first time the countdown had been, like a nightly countdown had been done on FM radio. Oh, yeah. And... Um, we took over. We took over the night program, and the rest of the radio station was doing really well. They were they were just starting to really cruise, and night was only putting pulling nine percent, which back then was like considered a really poor figure. Yeah. And anyway, we ended up doing the rock pile, and we're doing. Uh, we used to do. Uh, we gave ourselves a workload of three uh, parodies a day, three uh, that we would write and record, three three parodies a day and two spoken word comedy bits that we would do. We would do that Monday to Thursday and just replay some of the stuff that was still very contemporary on the Friday. Yeah. 
And it was seven to ten at night, and uh, we just loved it. And again, we were we were over at Bondi Junction with the most amazing view of looking at the Harbour Bridge and all the Harbour and Taronga Zoo, and it was just an it was an incredibly iconic building and radio station as well. And and our first survey uh, went from nine percent to twenty point nine. Wow, that's incredible. And we just thought, oh, thank God, you know, <laughs> we've got ourselves another couple of months, and um, you know that, was, and, and that was the lowest figure we ever got. Incredible. We just kept going up and up from there. And during our first tenure at Triple M, I think we ended up with thirty-one point seven was our best figure. The uh, the ratings back in those days were just phenomenal because the competition was a lot uh, less, wasn't it? It was just oh, and everyone absolutely. was listening to no, radio. There was no internet. There was no Foxtel. There was only going out to the movies or uh, hiring a video or going to dinner. You know, there was all, all the driving. There was no such thing as uh, you know, no no distractions like uh, every everybody has now. So, and and nighttime radio was a, a big thing for the audience. The yeah. Triple M had a lot of. A lot of people uh, who I've since met said, oh, I used to remember doing my HSC, studying for my HSC, listening to that. That's right. The two biggest markets uh, on stations used to be breakfast and nights as opposed to drive as it is now. It's yeah, absolutely. And of nights rating well set up breakfast for the next morning because if you're, you're listening at the night time, you leave your rating, you turn it off, and of course it's still on Triple M. So when yeah. you turn it on in the morning, Bang, there it is. Oh, yes, of course. But the um, philosophy behind it. It's like, it was like the old Sunday night movie on on 9 or 7 or 10. You know, the Sunday night movie had come on at 8.30 and there'd always be a blockbuster during ratings. And that meant that in the morning when they turned the TV or the next day when they got home and they turned it on, bang, there was the channel still on there. Oh, I like the uh, programming thinking behind that. So it was nights that you are on for a few years uh, and then you went to mornings, didn't you? Uh, uh, at uh, Triple M, we yeah. Uh, yeah, we did. We uh, well, we went, we did nights, and then uh, what did we do after that? We, we mornings was when we um, when we came back. They they put us out to Perth for a while, but oh, yeah, yes. we ended up uh, we ended up coming back and doing mornings, which was uh, night or midday. And they uh, Denton was doing breakfast with Amanda Keller. And then we would do mornings, and then they moved us to drive, yeah. and then it really took off. It just, it just ripped into it, and uh, away we went again. Your uh, your time in Perth, what was that all about? Was that uh, was that on breakfast that you uh, went to Perth for? Yeah, well, the time in Perth was um, we were we went from nights we uh, we were the heir apparent to Doug when Doug Moray left, and we did we took over breakfast. From Doug, and we were the number one FM breakfast show in town. But after about eighteen months or so of doing that, uh, they wanted to sell the radio station. Oh, they decided Quoits yes. wanted to sell it, um, and they they felt like they needed if they had Doug on uh, breakfast, uh, they could get a better price. Okay, they didn't want to get rid of us. No. <laughs> um, you know, Triple M was chock a block at that stage; so they had nowhere to put it. So. They whacked us over and went, and they changed. They they bought ninety six FM in Perth, and they changed it to Triple M. So Triple M came to Perth, uh, and we were the spearhead of it. So we went over to Perth for about a year, and then um, uh, that was a disastrous move. The network uh, 
was in disarray and, and uh, it had to be sold up in pieces and we were stuck in Perth for a while and uh, came back to Sydney. Yeah, it sounds like you had a, a couple of years apart uh, before returning to uh, Triple M again in 98. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I stayed in Perth for a bit. Uh, Vic came back to Sydney and, um, you know, and then it wasn't until we decided, well, let's give it another go. And, and there were rumblings that way that um, I remember somebody calling me. I was in person. Somebody said, oh, there's an article. Somebody found an article in the paper saying, uh, why why can't it be like the great old times when there was Doug Murray and the veggies? And then there was a bit of uh, interest um, around at the time. So I came back from Perth, uh, set up a meeting to go and talk to the M's, and Vic and I went in and spoke to them and, uh, they said, and this was at the uh, end of 1997, and they said, all right, we're going to put you on tonight. We're going to just slip you in for six till nine at night for a couple of weeks. We're not going to say anything. And it was Dobbo's idea to do that because he was then the uh, program director, Guy Dobson. And he said, well, we'll put you into uh, night, and we'll see if we can knock the rust off you. He's commented on Knock the rust off you, okay. And... Uh, Anyway, so we, we got on air at six. There was no, no promo. There was no nothing. We just came on after the news, after LA Drawers News, and we came on and did our intro and just started chatting. And within 15 minutes, the phones were in meltdown. Wow. And then the patients were all over it, and then they offered us the contract the next day. But they said, we want you to finish the two weeks that we asked you to do, which we did. We had an absolute ball, and it just—it was like we'd never been away. It was like we'd never been apart, and it, we just fitted back into it. Like, and I just remember about quarter past six on that first night on that Monday night, uh, we looked down at the phones, and they were flashing like a Christmas tree. We just just looked at each other and went, "Wow!" Yeah, that's uh, quite an amazing feeling as a, a radio. Uh, announcer or comic duo, as you said, and um, wow, it's yeah, it's euphoric, as you said. But um, I was going to ask you also about the uh, suburban songs. When when did that come into uh, your repertoire? Was it early days, or was it kind of later? Uh, no, when you returned to the uh, M's? Well, it was the time when we came back. We came back at the end of '97. We then started in full '98, and then we got on to drive. And um, it was the end of the '90s that um, it was a. Uh, it was a roundtable discussion. Um, I remember it was in Dobbo's office, and I don't know who first came up. It was like, how about we, you know, do songs about um, suburbs and stuff, and take the piss out of it if you want to. And we went, yeah, all right. Well, you will get the listeners to write a song, and um, you know, they nominate the songs that they want it done to, and and we'll try and uh, put it, knock it all together, and, and polish it up, and and uh, that's how it came about, and and it, you know. It was it was great, but also it took a lot of work to do. Yeah, because although you know some of the ideas were there, you had to you had to completely rewrite some of it. But um, and some of it was just you know you just couldn't put it to air with <laughs> what they were uh, singing about. But um, yeah, and there were some great songs that came out of that. Uh, there's no tea and minnow. That was a great one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it ended up uh, being massive. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, which everyone uh, makes reference to many years ago, is that caller that rung in and could not, for the life of him, spell ACDC. Was there a bit of um, manipulation to get that out of him, or was that just gold? Well, I'll tell you exactly how it happened, and it's 
I still remember it to this day. You know, a lot of people have also said, uh, you know, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that call, and it just took off, and it went around the world. Um, it was a Friday afternoon. Uh, we were giving you the chance to win um, Stiff Upper Lip, the ACDC album at the time, and also go into the draw to win a Harley Davidson. And, and all you had to do was spell ACDC, and we were, you know, it was pretty easy. It was about a two-week comp that we had for it. And anyway, we had a caller lined up, ready to go. We did the big blurb, the intro, everything. We're about to go to it, and phone drops out. The, oh. the, the, the just goes dead. So I just punch up the next line. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, God bless him, it was Mark from Greenacre. And <laughs> I as I say, I always had a whole heap of sound effects all around me, and I knew exactly where they were, and I'd, I'd always had to grab a Greenacre and all that. Or if anybody came from Green Act and I could just whack it in the cart and go bang and thank God he said he was, and, and he was a bit of a regular caller Mark and he used to come along to some of the OBs we did and always make himself known and um, so he was just there we said alright it's spell ACDC and, and <laughs> I got really flustered so Vic baited him a bit you know and said oh come on mate you can do this and and they just went on, and as it went on, we both looked again, looked at each other, and thought, "My God, we've got we've got a live one here. This is amazing." How much <laughs> built? And then it just went on and on. The, the long form of that call goes on for quite about two minutes, I think. And um, he just went on and on. Anyway, in the end, he spells the damn thing, and we give it to him, and then away it goes. But in the meantime, some of the uh, the boys from ACDC had actually heard it. <gasps> And Angus Young loved it, and he <laughs> wanted meat mark. So the next week, Angus came in wow. on the show, and uh, he also, we got Mark on the phone again, and he said, you not only won Stiff Upper Lip, but we're going to give you the entire back catalogue. Wow. And came into the show. Because yeah. Angus just loved it. He just thought it was the best thing he'd ever heard. Oh, and my God. And to this day, one of those iconic calls. Yes, definitely. Oh my god! It, it um, any time there was an ACDC promotion years later on Triple M Network, there's that call played over and over. Yeah, again. well, I, I I remember Dotto decided to do a, an ADDC weekend that weekend. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> cool, bloody Dotto. And and he, he just we got that call and uh, cut it up and it played all weekend and it was a. An ADDC weekend. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and to this day, whenever I have to back an app, I've always got to think about it. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to fall into ADDC. In 2002, of course, was uh, the, the official end of Club Veg and uh, a few other shows there at Triple M, but um, you and Vic parted ways. Was there, was there a big um, argument towards the end? Because um, a lot of people were sort of speculating there that... Um, no more Club Veg after that. Uh, look, I think by the time we got to the end of it all, we'd been through the ringer quite a few times and, you know, we, we thought by the time we came back that last time, by 2002, we were... The eye was on the prize to sort of go all the way and perhaps go back into breakfast and to, you know, really get that million-dollar pay packet. And it, it started to disappear in the last year, uh, and and we were just we were just weren't firing. We just weren't 
Uh, it just wasn't happening too much. And I, I just think it's been years and years and years, and we just started to go our separate ways. And basically, by the end of it all, it was a bit of a relief yeah. that it was all over, and I wanted time away. And Vic did too. Uh, we kept in touch for a little bit after that. But um, by that stage, I, you know, I was looking at getting married and, and I, then I did, and we just, then I had a little girl, and, you know, I went down that track a bit. And um, Vic was, what was he doing? He was doing other stuff. He, was, he ended up in Gosford anyway. He ended up at uh, the, uh, Star, I think, up in Gosford. That's right. Yeah, we crossed cross paths there for a couple of weeks when I was um, filling in on afternoons. Yeah, right. And and that's kind of as it was, and we, you know, we kind of never talked for quite some time. And uh, the longer it went on, the longer it was like, oh, well, who's going to be the first to do something about it? And then um, it was around the time that because I, I ended up moving to the Gold Coast to work on Hot Tomato, which I, I've done for the last twelve years. I've only just left yep. Hot Tomato, but um, uh, I was. I'd got an offer from Hands Talk to come to Hot Tomato, and and it was around that time that Vic um, reached out through Facebook via Lisa, my wife, and um, anyway, I emailed him, he emailed me, and uh, we basically, the emails pertain to, shall we give it one more go? Shall we get back on the horse one more time? And I said, uh, I remember writing back to Vic saying, listen, um, I've got to fly out of town. Uh, I've been offered something in another state to do radio. If you want this to happen, we better move on this really, really quickly because uh, I'm, I'm right in the middle of all these talks. So I sort of put a call into Triple M at the time, into Dotto, who then started the ball rolling to see if there was a way we could look at doing something. Uh, but then I think Vic got cold feet on it. Uh, for a while. Anyway, I'd come up to the Gold Coast and spoke to Hands and Hands, you know, offered this amazing, amazing uh, package and, and, you know, it was a brand new lifestyle. It was going to be on the Gold Coast and uh, it was going to be in drive and, and you know, he, he really created a real family station around him and it really appealed to me at the time. And Lisa was up for it and we just thought, you know what, this is a whole new beginning. I still hadn't heard back from Vic and so I just thought look I'll, I'll take you know the, the bird in the hand sort of thing and so we we, um, we uh, decided to say yeah to that and we came up here and I, I never heard from him again oh right so and it was uh, you know uh, when when Vic got ill I I had no idea of that yeah. uh, until right right near the end when um Somebody mentioned to me that uh, he was in a bad way, so I tried to make contact with him and uh, left a couple of voicemails for him. And then, of course, uh, he passed away, and that was, God, that's over 10 years ago now. Yeah. It was very sad. We never actually, you know, we, we came close to um, getting back together again, but we, we never quite got there. And, yeah, yeah it's just that's the way it is. But, you know, I've... I came 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 to the Gold Coast, and it was the uh, it was the best thing I ever did. I just we've just had so much fun up here, and you know 
I've now got a teenage daughter that's ready to go to university. Who yeah. would have thought? I never yeah. thought I was going to be alive this time of my life, let alone have a daughter go to university. But, yeah, here we are. Wow, what an incredible journey. Mel Lees from Club Veg. <laughs> Bring back a few memories for you talking through that. Yeah, it does, actually. And Look, you know, we could do part two, three, and four of this if you wanted to because I've glossed over a lot there, but uh, only, you know, there, there, there's so much that went on and there's so much that we did and so many so many amazing people that we met, you know, and everybody from Kiss to ZZ Top and everybody in between and the the fun we had with those guys, you know. Yes, yeah, so I remember the Foo Fighters and Billy Idol coming in on your drive show at one stage too, Tenacious D. Absolutely. Tenacious D came in, you know, all of those guys. And, you know, to us at the time, we thought, oh, yeah, well, they say to us, hey, you want Tenacious D's in town? We go, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I look back on it now and it's like, and if only we'd had iPhones back then. Because, yeah. You know, we would have had so many more memories and photos and videos and stuff, of it, which, of course, you know, we didn't have then. It was no. just before the advent of uh iPhone, but God, you know, when you think back in the Who, Roger Daltrey, all these guys who, as a kid, I grew up, you know, idolising, and there they were sitting opposite me having fun with it. All they are is distant memories, and they're in our heads, so you get podcasts like this that ask you to talk about it, and uh, we get to <laughs> lay it down like we did today. <laughs> and God love that you have done it, haven't Awesome stuff. Mel Lees, thank you so much for joining us on the Radio Fanboy Podcasts. What a journey. Mate, thanks for the interest. Like the Radio Fanboy Podcast? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or visit leebevington.com.au. Lee Bevington Media, voiceovers and on-air talent for radio, television, and podcasts.